0: Welcome to One to One, an interview series in which I, Bertie, a long-time writer for Eurogamer, find wonderful people from around the world of games to have a really good chat with. Remember, subscribers to the Eurogamer website get these episodes first, and you can find out more about that in the description below or over on the Eurogamer website. Today on One to One, Someone who's played a major role in signing and marketing some of today's biggest gaming series and bringing them to the wider world. I'm talking about games like The Witcher and Dark Souls and Elden Ring, as well as games like Enslaved and Project Cars and Nino Cooney and so many more. They've even managed to temporarily rebrand Yorkshire Tea boxes with the Dark Souls name on them, which is no small feat. They're someone who's been a key face in the UK games industry for decades now and whose work has left an impression on the world. They are Lee Curtin, the former Marketing and Communications Director at Bandai Namco Entertainment UK and Ireland and also Sub Chief Pac-Man Officer. Uh, Hello, Lee.
1: Hi, Bertie. How are you doing, mate?
0: (laughs) I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yes, all good, thank you. All
1: good. Nice to see you.
0: Yeah, and you welcome to the show. I hope you don't mind me saying former, but um, you're on the cusp, or at this point, um, you have uh, left Bandai Namco. I have,
1: yeah, after uh, just over two decades working for, well, Bandai Namco, previously Atari, Infograms, and in the start, GT Interactive Software, which, uh, yeah, very proud to have represented all those companies during the last 25 years.
0: It's had a lot of different names, uh, hasn't it? A lot of different companies. Mm -hmm. And I I was particularly confused when it was Namco Bandai or Bandai Namco. And then I'd get all the names mixed up and they like Bamco Nandai. um, Yeah, there was a
1: few changes and a lot of it was down to the sort of distribution deals at the time that uh, Bandai Namco partners were distributing Atari's products. And then it was Namco Bandai and then Bandai Namco and Bandai Namco entertainment. and, And then recently um a new um, rebrand um, with Bandai Namco and a new logo. and
0: yeah, it's certainly seen some changes <laughs> i'm I'm already, I'm still confused even <laughs> even hearing that. <laughs> um has it has it stayed? was the company you were working at like the building and the people around you? Did that all stay the same kind of throughout these transitions? Was it just the name that was changing or was it or was it quite a big change? no
1: it, de- it definitely changed over the years. Um, you, were, I, you know at, at one point, um obviously, Bandai Namco, you know, as a company, is a huge Japanese um, company, headquarters in, 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 in Japan. And then it purchased Atari's distribution network, ultimately creating offices across the whole of, you know, Europe and and. the and ways. So it, it definitely changed over the years because there was quite a lot of transition from the Infogrames kind of model and the Atari model into Bandai Namco, but therefore creating this huge distribution network and, you know, probably one of the biggest entertainment companies in the world, um, where it's probably more prominent just in um, Japan uh, and the US with distribution through Sony in the, in the past and, and then other companies as well, but now has a footprint across the whole world.
0: For sure, and in no small part, Thanks to some of the work you've done. Now, I like snooping at people's houses um, yeah. when this begins because I'm just nosy, I think. And I see what looks like a big Matrix poster That's yeah. uh, on the wall behind you. Now, is that because of the work you did on Enter the Matrix? Yeah,
1: I worked on, um, um, back in, back in uh, the days at Atari, um, I was very fortunate to work with um, David Perry on Enter the Matrix and the follow-up title, "The Path to Neo," um, and I, I always remember that being probably one of the fondest moments that I actually had in, oh, in, right. in, in the industry because um, I always remember this conversation with uh, Big Boss at the, the time, John Perry, saying, "You know, what do you think of this Matrix thing?" And, <laughs> and I said, I, "I said I think it's going to be huge," and it was very much that conversation of, "Well, well, we're, we're kind of going for the going for the the big game in conjunction with the sequel." Of, you know, movie sequels, Reloading the Revolutions, and um, then ultimately the purchase of Shiny Entertainment at the time. So, yeah, I worked really, really closely at the time with um, with um, Shiny and the central team in, within the company in the US and went down the rabbit hole, got taught everything about <laughs> the Matrix, um, even met the Wachowskis. and. At one point, at one point, was demoing the game to them, um, which was which. What did they say? What What was that like? It was. Do you know what? It was the most surreal and most amazing, probably one of the most amazing moments in 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 my work life. Um, I was asked asked to go to. It was actually after Enter the Matrix. It was for The Path of Nea. I was actually asked to go to um, Shaftesbury Avenue where. They were in the middle of filming *Viva Vendetta*. I think they were producing the movie at the time. Wow,
0: oh, wow! And
1: I was a big fan of the work they were doing on *Viva Vendetta* as well. So I was like, you know, like a kid in a sweet shop. And they,
0: I love that film. It's such yeah. a great
1: movie. It gets better with every viewing as well. And I remember um, uh, Warner Brothers in the US um, and Dave Perry kind of gave me the trust to go in and and show early builds of um, the parthenio to. Um, the Wachowskis in the office in Shaftesbury Avenue and they were absolutely incredible and we were I was, I was specifically told not to kind of really engage in major conversations about the Matrix series I um, <laughs> okay. just focus on my job at hand which was to show certain parts of the game and obviously the parts that they'd filmed through their their, their trilogy at the time um, and to make sure everything was integrated in the, the correct way um, And it, but it was brilliant because they were kind of picking out shots they wish they would improved on and various things that they were kind of chuckling at and it was uh it was pretty amazing and they were uh incredible and they even showed me a few bits and pieces on v vendetta behind the scenes and
0: um we did talk about the matrix which was which was great uh, what did uh, you tell them what was your hot matrix take that you couldn't wait to share
1: um at the time i was quite lucky because I, i got to go and see reloaded and revolutions at the premiere in london and, and they asked me, you know, are you a fan of The Matrix? And I said, of course. And, <laughs> no, and, no, um, no. And they could tell what joy it was to meet them and to just hang out in this office playing, showing off moves from um, the path of Neo. Because I, I had it one of the best, I think it has one of the best combat mechanics of any game, any combat game at the time. And I, in my own way, I, I actually think it improved on Enter The Matrix in many ways in terms of, you know, obviously delivering the, the opportunity for you to play as Neo and play those key scenes that you know and love from the, the films. Um, and I obviously said the original Matrix was like, you know, phew, mind blowing. So <laughs> I sort of went to the cinema like seven times to watch the movie. Wow. Um, so, which they were really impressed with and quite happy about. And uh, and then I sort of went into detail about how much I loved Reloaded, but was slightly disappointed about Revolutions, which, you know, I, then the Tumbleweed kind of. and And we discussed it and it was quite interesting you know the view on it because they'd said that the revolutions was like the most expensive part of the the actual development of the movie because of obviously all the cgi and the 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 mech stuff and um but for me you, you could tell that film was obviously filmed as one and sliced in half and um but still um as a uh, series you know I go back and watch all of them and you know revolutions has grown on me over the years anyway so okay so yeah no it was good it was good to talk and you know it was sort of appreciated just to talk just to talk about sci-fi and yeah. martial arts and you know action scenes because I'm like in awe of everything that they've done in that kind of series just in terms of cinematography and technology so it was yeah so that that image there, which is an, an lenticular image, was given to me um, um, in two thousand and three, which actually has two thousand and three on the on the the actual um, frame itself, and I've just kept it um, in one piece since. I've reframed it once, but uh, yeah, it's
0: great. Nice. What are the other mementos you see? So the the video has gone a bit. Um the quality's dropped on the video a bit for me. Um, but is that a Star Wars post? Yeah, yeah, that's the
1: original Star Wars movie, which um, I'm a big fan of film um, and a big fan of games and a big fan of music. And, you know, I'm really kind of into, you know, everything within those kind of, you know, anything, you know, with great music and great visuals and, and, and especially gameplay as well. So, yeah, Star Wars. And then I've got the, you might be able to see it, um, a Pac-Man Gorillaz um image as well because uh, i did a bit of work with gorillas who created a track called pac-man um recently okay um and uh from that they produced a really cool piece of uh, artwork and so i've got it framed in uh, you can't see the other side of the room which does have actually have framed dark souls um frames and a huge pac-man on the millennium mills building in london where we we set a world well record. Um, so yeah, so there's some good stuff this side as well. But yeah, this little um, garage turned office has become a little bit of a memorabilia place yeah. for some of the things that I've been lucky enough to work with over the years.
0: Oh, uh, it's nice. I bet there are hundreds of, of, of lovely memories. Um, and of course, it's, it's out in the open now. People know um, that you're leaving or have left yes. um, Namco Bandai. I was saying a bit before uh we started recording that I saw your LinkedIn post about this when you were announcing it and that there were loads of people who came forward to say lovely things like you know it's been a pleasure working with you or you know you've you sound like you've really touched lots of people's careers you know from journalists to to PRs to marketers to people who were just in the business of of companies and things that must be quite I don't want to say validating, but I can't think of another word.
1: No, it, 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 actually validating is probably the right word to be honest, because um, leaving wasn't the uh, wasn't an easy decision. It's probably the hardest decision I've ever made. So, um, and then you kind of you know being on leave for a bit, you're you, you, you kind of get that sort of you know that imposter syndrome thing where people talk, mm. people talk about, and you know you suddenly sit back and you think, well, was I actually any good at what I did?" Or <laughs> you know, was I just lucky to work with such amazing games and and amazing people which is true also um but it's really nice to hear from other people you know people that i've partnered with on various events or various stunts or you know various games that we've managed to sort of bring bring into the the company and and obviously my japanese colleagues and colleagues in the in the us and everything as well so yeah it was nice to hear it got me i was quite emotional actually yeah so it was was, was lovely to hear
0: i was going to say that you know, it must have been a an emotional time absolutely Still you know reflecting on um so are they throwing you a going away party that was the thing i was going to ask okay. because they could they could um hire snoop Dogg again <laughs> yes
1: but yeah but as snoop dog once said um he'll only do it for the paper <laughs>
0: <laughs> good reference yeah um <laughs> So it was 10 years to the day that that interview happened. Yes, I remember I, it well at E3. I discovered. Yeah, I discovered this morning uh, when I was looking back. For people who don't know what we're talking about, um, I once interviewed Snoop Dogg um, and I decided to wrap my questions to him because it would be, I don't know, funnier, I suppose. There's a video. Uh, I'll link it in the description uh, below. It's really cringy. You'll need a pillow, probably. Um, that sounds weird as well. Um <laughs> But what a way to kind of bow out, if you like, after helping launch Elden Ring. Mm-hmm. Um, that must feel like a crowning achievement in all your years of work, not just because Elden Ring was massive, but because Elden Ring doesn't exist without Dark Souls. Um, and you, I think, were instrumental in making Dark Souls kind of happen, as far as I understand. Well,
1: I wouldn't say that. I mean, I was I was most certainly around... Um... The company when we first distributed Demon Souls um, in the Western market. Um, so um, I, I remember when I first saw Demon Souls, um, um, it was a title that was obviously very successful in its own way in Japan, and we had the opportunity to distribute the title
0: within Europe
1: and um, Western market.
0: I mean, clearly it's clearly it's a great game, you know. Ob- obviously, the, the success speaks for itself, but it's not an easy sell, is it? It's quite niche and core and uh, you know you take a chance on something like that it's not an obvious
1: one no I think uh, one of the things that's kept me within the business um, for so long is the diversity in titles and um, also the challenging you know new titles that you bring in you know you see a lot of sequels um, a huge amount of follow-ups and a huge amount of safe titles let's say across the industry um, and I'm a big believer in, you know, you know new, new titles, um, new genres, um, you know, those challenging games that sort of um, just challenge the whole entire model of what, you know, first-person shooters, action-adventures, uh, driving, fighting games. But to have something that kind of sits out there really, you know you, you know, you could say, you know, it's an RPG, but at the same time, it sort of sits there in its own, in its own world in terms of what it actually is. Um. So, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, of course, challenging um, is what the game is, what the game series is all about. It's all about challenge and reward. And every From Software title has been there. And that's why they, um, they're probably the most valuable value for money titles out there in terms of you being able to learn from how you play these titles and learn from your mistakes. And through these challenges, you get immense reward. And we saw that with Demon Souls. You know, I remember when we first got some code in for it, for the game and we were playing through it and, you know, all having our arses hand to, handed to us. So like places. <laughs> and then when you start, you know, learning these games, they kind of reminded me of how games were in the 80s, you know, when you were playing them on your CPC and they were, you know, no games were easy. They're all challenging. They're all hard work. You know, they're always a hard, they were always difficult to finish um, games when I was growing up. And that made for you know, real value, where I find a lot of games now you can get through them quite easy and um, have your hand held uh, for you most of the time.
0: But with were the- there Souls, some... it's, it's certainly, and Dark Souls, certainly not that. Were there some difficult discussions around um, getting involved with Demon Souls and then Dark mm-hmm. Souls? Because like I say, it can't have been an easy sell and there must have been people at the company that were like, I don't get it.
1: Um, no, I don't think there were people that, that didn't get it i think it was purely down to the fact that there was you know um you know yes it was it was challenging in a, in a way because maybe nobody outside of um japan was really um aware of 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 the game um with demons with demon souls obviously dark souls took on its own um you know you know its new, own new path um following following that um but um yeah with these titles obviously it's always a challenge to um to understand how to market them in a way because what you don't want to do is change their um their dna um and that is mm. you know we've never had any involvement in the development of these titles that's down to the genius of from software um you know and our job is to introduce them to as many people as possible um and you know that's happened over over the you know the ten plus years, and obviously with the success of Elden Ring, which has just taken things taking things um, to a whole new level. Um, and I think we can thank other fantastic RPGs out there as well. You know, um, with their open worlds and their vast terrains, to kind of introduce people into these um, into these worlds and new fantastical worlds that they can get involved in. And it's all about you you know not giving the story to you but you finding out the story for yourself or creating your own story within within these yeah. universes um and um it's great to have seen the success of Elder Ring, and obviously other titles such as Bloodborne as well and Sekiro um as well I'm a big fan of all of these titles even though I'm not that great at them <laughs> but um but even with myself you know I've, I've learned um I've learned over the years as a, as a as a, as a gamer to kind of how, how I appreciate them as a somebody playing the games rather than somebody sort of working within the sort of marketing teams of them. But yeah, yeah. most certainly not an, um, not an easy challenge in terms of introducing
0: these and explaining these kind of titles to people because there's only so much you can explain. For sure. I, it must seem like a, a long time, it was a long time ago, but it must seem like a long time ago now that, you know, you were, you were the publisher of dark souls right not not the distributor it was we were publisher and distributor of dark souls yeah okay so i mean there must have been a point i mean did you get to go and meet hidatako miyazaki and the team do you remember sitting there thinking you know they weren't massive at this point they're kind of gaming royalty now but at that point they were still you know, had something to prove, if you like. Do you remember meeting them and, I suppose, how their celebrity changed over the years?
1: Yeah, most certainly. I I, I met um, uh, Miyazaki-san a couple of times, actually, Um, once when I went over to Japan um, with Edge magazine, actually, and uh, Jason Killingsworth, and um, we got to spend some time over there, which was um, pretty amazing, and, you know, Jason's a huge fan and contributed towards writing writing fantastic book um as yeah. well and um and also we invited me as aki san over to an award ceremony here in the uk as well um so many years ago but yeah i mean i they're, they're incredibly humble incredible creators and um they it's it's quite nice you know because i've played a very small part in in you know in these titles in terms of you know introducing them let's say to the uk audience as best as possible And, you know, working with yourself and working with, you know, many great journalists and content creators out there to sort of introduce um, and get the title in in front of people as much as possible. Um, But seeing, obviously, in the background, how much work and dedication and pure passion and love that they Mm. they put into their titles. And um, it's uh, great to see um, talent suddenly being um, uh, rewarded in 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 many ways you know you know you can have we can all have, we'll have our own opinions on awards um but um it's great to see i'm a big fan of uh, developers and creators um getting the rewards that they deserve and dark souls has won many and hopefully and i, I i'll probably put money on it the elder ring will do the same
0: <laughs> i think that's a fairly safe bet yeah um so let's go back in time sure. uh, a little bit um Let's go back in time quite a lot, actually. Let's go back to little Lee Curtin running around and scuffing his knees and dreaming about the future. Um, what did you want to be back then when you grew up? Because presumably um, working in games marketing wasn't necessarily it. No. Or was
1: it? No, no, it wasn't. Um, it was when I was, um, when I was at school, I, I, I always wanted to work in film, um, but okay. I spent all my time playing games um (laughs) it was kind of like you know when i wasn't watching film i was playing games and you know everything from you know the Binatone, you know bat and ball console back in 1977 to you know the atari to you know every single games i spent a lot of time on um my amstrad cpc 464 and the commodore 64 and you know typing code from magazines and playing around (laughs) with um trying to get into systems and and Playing around with things. I'm not a coder, but I was really interested in in technology and really interested in um, artwork, uh, cinematography, um, obviously film, you know, music. So I thought there was, you know, you know, growing up in the eighties, I thought there was absolutely no way that I would ever be able to be involved in any of that, or most certainly get anywhere near um, games creators, who I thought at the time didn't really exist. These games just come out. I've noticed that. <laughs> and I, you know, I still think there's a lot of people that think that. It's great to see games um, games creators um, getting, you know, like Kojima and Miyazaki and the, the, the hundreds and thousands of other fantastic games creators getting the recognition that they, they deserve, just like um, film directors and producers and writers get now. And I think that needs to improve even more so going forward. Um, but for me um, it was um, I was very interested in sort of studies I was studying doing a bit of drama at school I quite liked um, okay. working within that 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 area and I was quite interested in that and it just just so happens that um, after I wanted to take my hand at um, uh, becoming a chef because I was really into cooking and hospitality and I was working at quite a young age in in bars and kitchens and um, so I went and did uh, a, a sort of, you know, MVQ at the time in in um, in uh, chef and cooking, and,
0: ah. and
1: that didn't quite work out the way I wanted it to. Um, just down to um, it was more probably down to the bullying um, and the oh, right. pressure that was I was facing within that particular role that I had so it wasn't a very nice experience although for me cooking is like one of my number one passions I still do it now every day it's still kind of something that I have but it's now more of a hobby so I decided to sort of fall out of that and join a media recruitment agency and that was very much sitting in a room you know typing away they thought I was very good on computer they I knew my way around a computer and then suddenly there was a few job offers a few job opportunities and and one of them was for a, um, a job at a company called GT Interactive, which was, um, I always wondered what the GT meant, and it was uh, good times. Um, which, when I, when <laughs> really? Think, think back, it's like probably a terrible name for a company. Um, but um, but then LG is called, isn't it Life, Life's Good? Ah, <laughs> so,
0: uh, I've got an LG Telly, and yeah, it, so that I'm comes right, up yeah. every day. And funny, I've only just it, realized. When you, when you work,
1: but yeah, Good Times Interactive. And I actually went in... Um, and I'd looked at, I'd researched the company as best as possible because the internet was pretty new and email had only been around a little while and um, and I realised that this company was kind of involved in some of the biggest games that I was playing, you know, from the distribution publishing of some of the Doom series, Duke Nukem and um, I was like, wow, this is amazing. So, and the job was purely coming in as a receptionist stroke customer services. Uh, right. So...
0: Went in... So you were literally sitting on the desk on the reception desk. Yeah.
1: So the, the office was in the old grammar school in uh, Marylebone in London, and um, okay, and the job at the time was to answer the phone, look after the chairman, who um, you know um, the late Frank Herman, who I have a lot of respect for, um, and his legacy was pretty huge as well from you know his his work at Sega and um, some work at Mastertronic. Um, so I was. Um, fielding a lot of phone calls and, and back then you didn't really have what you have now with social media and you know and uh the internet full of game guides and, and I was getting a lot of phone calls from customers who bought <laughs> games and so I decided to kind of make the reception area my own kind of sort of broom cupboard in the way where I, I sort of um started printing out guides on our games and, like <laughs> post them to people and uh help helping people out on the phone um and um, I got quite into that, and the team. Did you have a special phone voice? Not really. I was just friendly, to be honest. I was just really kind of accommodating to everybody that phone that called up. Um, and I always, had, I was always a big believer in you know customers always in, like the most important person you can have in a company because without them you have no company. So. Customers would write letters in saying how thankful they were. I'd help them out or blah, 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 blah. And this was getting through to various people within the um, organization. And they kind of let me do what I wanted. So I was printing out, uh, sending posters to people and sort of looking after people. And then after a while, um, and I was playing a lot of the games as well. And after a while, um, I saw the PR sort of guys and girls running around working on the games. And I thought, well, that looks really cool. Get to work. work work Close with the games but i also saw that they were dealing with a lot of the specialist press at the time which was back then you know hundreds of video games magazines that we all know and love um but and there wasn't really many video game sites you know they were kind of just beginning um but i saw that there was a huge amount of um regional um, press across the uk that were wanting to be to play the our games and review our games and i started indirectly dealing with them um, <laughs> and then sort of started building up a huge kind of level of coverage outside of you know specialist press and then i was offered the opportunity as a, a job to be a pr assistant and uh, then a pr exec and i was working on you know total nation abe's odyssey um, the first unreal um which i always remember seeing code for unreal um And just being everybody just standing around this 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 PC, you know, which was the size of a house, blown away by this game called Unreal. And um, if you think about where Epic have gone from then until now, with you know the Unreal Five engine and Fortnite, and you know it's it's pretty incredible. So it was great to be part of um, launching Unreal, Unreal Two, Unreal tournaments. so I just kind of paid my own way, I suppose, within GT Interactive and then slowly but surely got kind of promoted into other positions and got to work on, got to manage uh, Driver. And Driver was probably one of the first games and Apes, Odyssey that I sort of invested all my time into and went to Reflections and was suddenly amazed by this open world driving game and being a fan of movies and Hollywood car chases. I just thought this thing incredible. <laughs> And um, and then that became one of the most successful games at the time as well. So, yeah, I I suppose um, I'd like to say I was probably lucky because I managed to get my foot in the door. But at the same time, it was through a lot of perseverance and a lot of hard work and, you know, some challenging times as well, because, you know, at the time I was, um, you know, (laughs) probably um, a different kind of receptionist back then. Um, and um, you know, I, you know, somebody you know working amongst a big organisation of people within games, and you're stuck on the front desk. It was um, it was a, a bit of a challenge. But then, I, as I said, I managed to find my own way and kind of use the skill sets and things I've learned from school and my education and love for film, game, and music, and sort of ad- bring that into um, into the PR world, I suppose. And I love dealing with people. I love working with people. I love making people happy from customers to you know the media
0: so it just kind of it it felt right yeah it sounds like you opened the door uh so much as which is very impressive um so let's take a game like driver so you you've come into the driver series Mm. and um you're working on it what is it i suppose your role evolves somewhat over the years but typically what is it you do for a game let's use i suppose driver as a as an example from kind of start to finish what are you doing for a game
1: so from you're talking about my role specifically at the time um yeah
0: i guess but maybe as it you can touch i guess on how it changes over the years because i i realize you kind of move from pr into marketing and that that probably has a bigger change but.
1: Yeah, I mean, the disciplines are pretty much the same from PR and, and marketing, and more so now, it's all kind of integrated into, into one. Um, but um, yeah, obviously, you have a, a game that's being developed by a bunch of amazing creative individuals, and whether that game's been signed by a, a big publisher, or it's being self-published and developed by a company themselves... Um, my job within you know a part of the overall marketing team as a as a, say a pr manager at the time was to to work really closely with the developers and look at the game know the game as much as they know the game or or try to know the game as much as they know the game and work very closely with them to decide how we're going to show people the game and how we're going to you know showcase you know, the the various development cycle of said game up until the launch um, and work as closely with the people that are just as excited about it as we are in terms of the media. So, you know, at the time, it was a lot of, you know, bringing people to the studio, um, showing people behind the scenes. I always remember I was quite fond of PR back in the day because it was a lot of going to, going to studios, walking around different desks, this is the art director, here's the audio team, here's the the director going, you know, you literally walk around people's desks while there were various things on screen, sometimes quickly being switched off <laughs> and, and replaced with wallpaper. Um, but um, really kind of getting to getting behind the scenes a, a lot of the games in development. And, and, you know, back then it was very much, um, you know, Uh, creating the assets so you know take you know getting getting the right screenshots the the right artwork to showcase the, the games within the print press mainly because back then print press was so huge you know magazines were selling you know hundreds of thousands of copies um and you know even back then as well working early in terms of submitting you know demos so we could get demos on the front front of magazines for you know playstation or pc um and you know it was really important to be passionate about what you were working with and working closely with those games. Um, but for me, I was always a big believer in, um, like food, in a way. You know, when you when you make a dish, it's it's you know it's comprised of so many ingredients, and when you're trying to explain someone how you've made that dish, you tell them everything that's you've put into it to make it. Mm. And for me, within games, I was always a big believer in showcasing everybody behind the game. Um, it wasn't about us. It wasn't about the marketing people. It was about the developers who, you know, in a lot of cases are, you know, working incredibly hard, um, <clears> doing long hours. They're behind the scenes, so they're not necessarily in, in front of people being able to talk about what they're doing and their passion. So for me, I was always a big believer in, um, you know, getting the guys doing the audio in, you know, talking about what they're doing and how they're making the music and how they're creating the sound effects for the game. The same goes for the art directors, the designers. So I was always a big, trying to put them out front as much as possible. So utilizing the ingredients, you know, it's like now games are, you know, behind every great game is an amazing composer, you know, is an amazing bunch of writers, um, some great artists Great coders, great level designers, great animators. And for me it was always about trying to bring them out and put them in front of the media. You know the difference between um, I suppose community managers today and PR people is PR are talking to the press who are talking to the end purchaser, the end consumer, mm-hmm. whereas the community people are talking directly to consumer. So our job was really to try and take all the best ingredients in the game and all the best people that are behind making them and give them to you and give them to the media so that you could tell everybody the great story of what's going, in, you know, what's going on behind this game. And then as it comes through the, you know, the process of, you know, whether it's a six-month, year or two-year campaign, you know, whenever you first announce that um, trailer until the release of the game, um, it comes down to those those critical last couple of months, you know, when the game's being finished, uh, and it comes down to the the you know the final reviews, which have, have always been a, uh, um, a big topic of uh, controversy over the years. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's 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 a great process because if you're a big believer in in what you're working with, then to work so closely. Um, on these titles on these great games makes you feel part of the part part of the overall process even though you're not as um certainly not as clever as the the wonderful people that are behind making them i'm in awe of game developers i think they're absolutely amazing and even now after 25 years i still sit there and i'm like how did you do that (laughs) and you know you and it's very it's it's easy to know if you know but it's um it's still even now when i put a game in my hands this huge production game I'm like how did they manage to put this together it's incredible so huge amounts of respect from for game developers
0: yeah so it's a long process as you know a a game is made over multiple years and it's a long it's a long campaign Mm -hmm. if you like um which are some of the the campaigns that stand out over the years because there's there's been quite a few years you know uh almost well pretty much bang on 25 years uh, so there's been a lot of games in those time, and, uh, times. And I wonder which are the ones that um, stand out. I guess if I had to guess, I'd probably say the the, the Souls uh, series. But I'd probably also say Enslaved and, and Driver, like you said, and maybe The Witcher. Yeah,
1: <clears throat> yeah The Witcher was... Um, I was lucky enough to work with CD Projekt Red on the original Witcher um, back in the GT, GT Interactive Atari, Atari, more Atari days. Um and, um, and The Witcher 2 and obviously The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, which, you know, I've probably played three or four times back to back now. What did you no. think
0: of The Witcher when it first came around? Because this was a, a, a group of unproven <clears throat> Polish people. There weren't games coming out of Poland at the time. Mm. Uh, the Witcher didn't have any kind of resonance here. No one really knew what The Witcher was. Um, mm. What did you think of it all back then?
1: Well, it was it was obviously um, it was a PC focused title at the time, and um, there's some great um, videos out there on obviously CD project's success over the years from their humble beginnings um, in terms of you know how they introduced titles in, into 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 Poland and other games, and how they first started. Um, obviously, The Witcher, when it first came along, was based on a um, based on a, a series of books, um, and those books were probably completely unknown outside of poland um but the one thing that stood out with the the game was the game you know this you know incredible um open world rpg this this character girl um and you know in the beginning it wasn't an easy release you know it was certainly a title that took time uh, uh, our post-launch as well to improve and yeah. In enhanced edition, and obviously with The Witcher two introduced it to console um, for the first time. If my memory serves me right, when when we released it on Xbox three hundred yeah. um, and sixty. Yeah. And the games just they just improved and improved and improved over time. And you know at the time, um, yeah, it was completely new. Um, but then having worked on The Witcher three Wild Hunt and take you know taking things to a new level and in, in in all aspects with CD Projekt's um, Red Engine and, you know, the, the sheer levels of work that was put, you know, put in worldwide to introduce it, even though it's a third game, it was introduced as really, it's kind of standout original title. Yeah. Um, hence the reason, you know, the three is kind of buried behind the Wild Hunt and, um, but hopefully introduced um, the The Witcher well to a lot more people and obviously with the success of the netflix tv series as well and you know variants various um, enhanced editions and you know it's another series that's been great to see how it's just gone from strength to strength so definitely stand out i mean enslaved has got a huge place in my heart um huge place in my heart because for me it was one of those great examples of bring in film and music and gaming together in almost the perfect way. Um, I love Ninja Theory. Um, you know, I was a big fan of the work technically and visually and what they did with Heavenly Sword. Um, but when the slave came along and we were working on this, you know, this new title, um, I remember, I remember seeing it and seeing the work that was being put in by the studio and the full performance capture work that was done with Andy Circus and Lindsay Shaw and the music from Nitin Sawney and you know, just this post I always remember with Tamim um, we were talking about it for hours and I always remember the reference material that he used when um, when working on the game was this uh, TV series called Life After People that okay. I remember watching it's really good and it kind of uses technology to explain what would happen to people uh, what would happen to life and, and the planet if people just disappeared so it would be like one day after people so imagine waking up one day and there's no people around what would happen not a lot really changes but then over a series of ty- over a series of days and weeks things start you know falling apart you know factories stop working food starts dis- disintegrating buildings start falling apart and you know Enslaved was set in this post post-apocalyptic America and it kind of showed nature reclaiming the earth um but ultimately then this future sort of technology robot sort of warfare i suppose which in a way when i look at horizon i always think it's it's enslaved um (laughs) and um i loved what i loved most was obviously Andy circus's involvement in it um did you get to spend much time with him once um that we we did a, a sort of press day in in london and i got to sort of chat with him a bit which was really nice but you know what these things are like when you've got media lined up to to take this this in this really important time to spend with him you don't really get that much time to sort of ha- like hang out unless they they tend to stay stick around and go out for dinner which unfortunately didn't at the time um but he's just a craftsman and a just just an artist in his own way. Everything that Andy Circus does, I think, is incredible. Yeah. Um, and especially in the motion capture and full performance capture stuff. So you can really tell, it's a little bit like Enter the Matrix and Parthenio for me. It's like if you, if you use source material and you use assets and performance capture and music in the right way, then you can make something really special. It's when it's used in the wrong way and source material is not respected, then it becomes um, pretty pretty terrible um but enslaved oh absolutely amazing i mean yeah that's one game i'd love to have seen uh, a, a remaster or or uh...
0: it's about time for a for a new game isn't it
1: well ninja theory are, are now a microsoft owned uh, studio so um so enslaved as, as as enslaved as a product um sits with uh, bandai namco um so if if anything was to happen to that that would be down to bandai namco um, but yeah, it was, it was certainly a, a standout title and, you know, another success story as well. Seeing Ninja Theory, you know, watching them I'm, I'm friends with Tamim on, you know, social media and Instagram and seeing what the work that was done with Hellblade and mm. I'm really excited about Hellblade too. And just the, the sheer level of, um, incredible work they, they're, they're doing with performance capture is just something else. Yeah. I really, really love to see so yeah that's a big standout i mean there's been many you know from ghostbusters and you know the chronicles of riddick and of course various various many 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 standout titles that i'm I'm proud to have been associated
0: with so we were talking about the witcher three there and um i remember being in a scottish castle uh with you um on an event to for the first hands-on event, I think for, for the game. That's great. Um, There we were in Stirling Castle in Scotland and we had a feast in the main hall, um, which was very, um, in keeping for the, uh, for the Witcher three, obviously. So, and that made me think of events, you know, press trips, events. And, and Mm -hmm. from my point of view, this is, you know, I see a lot of these, you know, when there's a new game to come out, the publisher gets in touch and normally there's depending on the kind of scope of the game there's normally uh, a press trip in keeping with that to try Mm -hmm. and you know make the game seem really cool get people excited Mm -hmm. uh, and get people there Um, I'm assuming you had quite a lot of input in the various events that
1: that was actually my event that was it the castle event yeah it was and there's two ways of looking at these these events because obviously and unfortunately you know people that that spend all their hard-earned cash buying these games don't get to attend these things but they do get of to course. attend you know the big shows you know whether it be the E3s in the US or the Gamescoms or the EGXs or whatever that the shows that are are around and i suppose that's a way of trying to bring in everybody that's spending all their money and investing in these games closer to the people making them and closer to the people working on them um i've always whenever i've worked on events i've always tried to link the event to the game in a way that with sterling for example a lot of the well, some of the research that was done in obviously the development of the game was using source materials like the scottish highlands and you know as huge reference for the development of these open worlds and this the style of these these type of games um I wanted to showcase the game um, in a really standout location, but that had a bit of a connectivity to to the game. So if you walked outside you would think, oh, this <laughs> looks like this looks a little bit like The Witcher Three. And Sterling Castle was um I love history, um, I love castles. I've <laughs> been fortunate enough to work on a lot of games that have had uh, links to castles in many ways. <laughs> so um been fortunate enough to 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 put on events at Hever Castle in Kent and Sterling Castle in Scotland. That was Um, another
0: Witcher event, wasn't it? In Hever Castle, yeah,
1: for The Witcher Two: Assassins of Kings. Yeah, Hever Castle, which was um, Anne Boleyn's childhood home, and uh, and also Hever Castle to me looks like a castle should look. You know, if you were standing in front of it, it's it's quite it's not huge, but it's got a drawbridge and it's sort of perfectly. (laughs) constructed in the sense that it's not um, it's not all falling apart like a lot of, a lot of castles are across the um, across the country um, Sterling Castle was just a magnificent place and I've always been a big fan of using locations that haven't been used by any other game companies or any other you know any other film companies so yeah to showcase the game in Argyle's Lodge and to have the hands on experience in Sterling Castle and then, you know what what better thing but to have a huge seven or eight? I can't, can't remember nine course banquet in the evening with, <laughs> with um, bagpipes, with bagpipes and some sword fighting and um, and a bit of a kind of medieval feast in a way to sort of you know to sort of um, you know solidify
0: the whole experience really. But it's all down to the game in the end. What are some of the other events and and maybe not just press trips and events, but also some of these marketing stunts I think you called mm-hmm. them to get people's yeah. attention you know like this you said this big pac-man thing that you had up on yes. um, what are some of the marketing stunts that you remember or some of the mm-hmm. there could be events but what stands out in your head what are you particularly proud of
1: um I think that we have to remember because you see a lot of negativity on um, social media um, on a day-to-day basis <laughs> we have to remember that you know what we're doing everybody collectively in the entertainment world is creating fun and that comes down to the people that are creating the games down to those that are working behind the scenes on you know making boxes distribution finance you know there's so many i do a lot of talks in schools with um a lot of um, young kids trying to inspire them into the history of video games and get them creating characters you know inspired by the likes of pac-man which was very kind of simple um if you think simple created character which turned out to be a global phenomenon and to sort of inspire kids to sort of develop their own characters, but but to sort of lock into things in the world at the moment, like the environment and things like that. And I think the important thing to remember in, in games is that everything we're trying to do here is to try to uh, to project that element of fun to, to everybody else out there to, so that they, one, they can see the game and see what they're going to be experiencing for the, themselves. Um, but also, create a level of drama and fun around the games themselves and and it's you know in the end games are businesses they can't survive without people buying the games so you know if you like that game, we need you to buy it if you know obviously if the, the quality is what you expect it to be to be able to make the next game it doesn't work um, it doesn't work otherwise um and to create a, a level of um, fun, you know, a couple of things to point out, you know, when I was working on Pac-Man and the Ghostly Adventures a while back, you know, we did a couple of things actually, but one of the things we wanted to do was we, um, um, Sega's building in London is in Chiswick and they have a huge Sonic on the side of the building. Um, <laughs> so we thought it would be really good to go out at um, midnight, one o'clock in the morning with a, a high tech projector and project pac-man onto sega's building (laughs) so pac-man sat there next to sonic but not tell sega about it um and sort of do it as a sort of urban late night stunt um but you know by doing it late at night not letting sega know you know we got a few new quite a few news stories the next day about how we kind of reunited these two characters from you know gaming's history um but sort of taking over Sega's building and, you know, seeing how they reacted. And, and it was quite fun to do. And, how did um, Sega react? Um, so um, some some people at Sega wish they'd known about it um, because <laughs> they would have probably, you know, probably got more involved, but we didn't really want them to know about it. Um, but the, the head um, of Sega at the time was um, contacting the head of uh, Namco and, and said that it was br- very good and it was brilliant. And the story was all about, you know, um, the fun missing out of video games and the fun missing, you know, because back in the day, there used to be a lot of these kind of things happen, you know, outdoor stunts, various activities. And do you remember got... any? Oh, oh, my God. Um, I mean, you do see you do see some now, you know, such as, you know, whether it's a simple marketing execution of taking over Piccadilly Lights or sony taking over the london underground stations which i really loved and things like that you do see these things but they're, they're more kind of marketing investments now rather than you know actual stunts that can can gauge um i mean back back when i worked on driver um i took a um, um with a, a a guy at the time who had a, a dodge challenger a yellow dodge challenger and it was when you could drive up oxford street and He had a huge speaker, which was one of the loudest (laughs) speakers that that, um, literally raised out of the boot of this Dodge Challenger. And I was warned before we went out with him that um, he'd had a warrant out for his arrest. Oh, God. Um, But they sent me out with him on the launch day of driver to HMV in Oxford Street, where we kind of did some donuts in the middle of Oxford (laughs) Street, parked parked right outside HMV, and um, and this huge speaker came up and just blasted music from, you know, seventies car chase movies. And I was giving out pro uh, giving out demos of Driver and t shirts, and it was thousands of people outside Oxford Street and real kind of drama. And it was just brilliant fun. So you don't really see that kind of thing um, happen anymore. But I actually think that that you know. We don't really have, let, let's say, the, the retail out retail space out there nowadays yeah. to kind of do those kind of things. But you know, that was always really good fun. Um, and um, we also decided to, you know, we worked with um, Channel Five, the Gadget Show, to to set a world record for the largest projection largest projection mapped video game, which was Pac Man, and it was beamed over the river at XL over onto the Millennium Mills and um, fully designed new version of the classic Pac-Man that was actually designed around the actual architecture and the, the windows and the, the layout of the building and fully wow. playable from across the other side of the river, river on the largest video game controller ever made. And it did set a world record. Um, it was an amazing sight to see. There's some incredible photos out there. So things like that are great fun to do, um, to celebrate, you know, the icons of gaming. Um, and um, yeah, you know, st- stunts and uh, events are are brilliant. I mean, even of late working on um, Get Even, you know, I wanted to bring in the music from the game um, and also bring in the writers of the game, but make them part of the event. So, How I wanted to do that was to use the John Barry Cinema at Pinewood Studios, but have the orchestra set up at the front. So the game was on the obviously the cinema screen, but have the writers actually stand up and um, kind of reenact scenes from the games from script and okay at the same time have the orchestra playing the music and the game on the background. And what it did was it just kind of brought, a, a, sort of brought all of the um, digital and interactive elements of it into reality. And, and it also showcased, um, you know, the great music from Olivier Derivière, the great writing from Longs and Sharks who were Darren Brown's collaborators that they write all of his shows. And, we ended up working on another project together, which was Eleven Eleven Memories Retold. Yeah, which was um, another game that had a huge has a huge place in my heart because it was a game um, with Digitzar, the world famous Ardman animations, Olivier Derivier, Longs and Sharks, just brilliant collaboration of um, talent to make a game that's not about killing. But again, that's a story based on World War One, which not a lot of people really. Let's say there aren't many games based on World War One. There aren't many stories told about World War One. If you were to ask your children, they they probably know more about World War Two than they do about World War One. But to create an interactive story based on, you know, a German soldier and a Canadian soldier who are both out at war but strike this sort of um, strike up this friendship um, and. you know what better way to showcase that that in, at the imperial war museum um because the game was released in the same time as the centenary and yeah, um, so there was poppies covering the the imperial war museum we took people through a kind of um a sort of real experience walking through the museum world war one museum into this incredible room we had a poet dressed in a soldier's uniform um Reading, um, you know, in Flanders fields. We again, I wanted to have the orchestra there, so we had like the London Philharmonic or- Philharmonia Orchestra playing music, and we recited some poems and showcased scenes of the game, and had Arben t- talking about the development. And it, I think these are great examples and great ways of bringing gaming into the real world. Yeah, by kind of explain, and I think. I'd love to see more of these things done for, you know, for, you know, you, you and me and the people that buy games on a day-to-day basis, be, uh, as well as the, you know, traditional media. Um, so, yeah, there are many stuff. I mean, working with Ray Parker Jr. on Ghostbusters. I mean, wow. I've got so many stories, but, you know, I was, it was many years ago and, you know, I was watching Hollyoaks. Don't, don't do- <laughs> um, I was a lot younger. I was a big fan. And my, my phone rang, and um, it was Ray Parker Jr. on the phone. And I thought I, I thought it was a wind-up, but it wasn't. <laughs> and, and he was um, super keen on being involved in you know the, the game at the time, which Atari were working on, um, which I still thinks the best video game based on Ghostbusters. And, um, again, being in the cinema and having Ray Parker Jr. talking about the music, playing that iconic track and video on screen for everybody to just you know, bop away to and then showcase the game um, was fantastic. But yeah, no, I mean, you know, I, I, I love events and I love, you know, creating uh, fun around the title. Sometimes people get a bit bogged, too bogged down in business, business, corporate, yeah. corporate. And we need to sometimes remember that, you know, we are creating entertainment here and entertainment is a diversion away from real life, which sometimes is not fun
0: yeah right so many memories memories and memories and memories um there were a couple of things i wanted to to i saw stand out that i wanted to ask you about yeah. um i read that you made as in you were involved in the development of this a driving theory game uh for yeah. ds and it sold something like seventy thousand copies or something what was that
1: yeah it was um um some years ago um I was, um, there's a couple of projects that I've been lucky enough to help get made. One of them I was a lot more closer to than the other. But at the time, um, when, you were, uh, when you were young and you wanted to learn how to drive, you had this kind of one particular piece of software that you used to be able to um, buy on PC from Focus, which was the driving theory exam ah. and learn the highway code. And I really wanted to do that for the Nintendo DS at the time, which was the, let's say, the leading handheld at the time in terms of, um, you know, performance and, 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 and success. So um, I um, positioned it to the, the company um, and they put the money forward and we worked closely with a, a developer that has experience making these kind of titles, but never made a driving theory title for um f- for this market, and I wanted it to be the first. So I always remember going to see the DSA, which is a driving standards agency, and getting a meeting with them was was hard enough um, because I'm this guy that works at a games company, <laughs> and they, all they care about is people's safety, and um, you know, and that's their that's number one focus for them. But I, you know, I presented, you know, the, the company, the Nintendo hardware, why I was doing it. And my, my, my argument was that there are many young people worrying about their driving theory exam and worrying about their highway code. So what if they had something that they could take with them that was portable? Because obviously smartphones weren't around at the time. Of course. So it was, you know, imagine you're on holiday, you're going away with your parents, you've got that impending driving exam, but you could take it with you and you could practice it. As you would do in a test centre, and it would tell you whether you, you you failed or passed but you could keep redoing it. Um, but at the same time, I wanted to try and gamify some elements of it so that you could have you could learn the highway code on an easier way by matching symbols and things. So you turn over one, you turn over the other, you matched it, and so just trying to do things to help people memorise. Yeah. Um, so managed to do it. Um, had a little deal with Renault. We got a Renault car in there. We did. We showed how parallel parking was done, <laughs> and the studio in Paris that I worked with managed to complete it. And the DSA said one thing because they gave me an entire database of the driving theory um, exam at the time was that um, it was on our heads, be it basically. <laughs> you know, if somebody was to let's say injure themselves because of our product, then wow we'd have to be, take the front of that so so i got to sort of I, I suppose i got to sort of um dab into be a bit of producer side of things working on that working with friends in creating the packaging the artwork and and bringing it to market and yeah it was at the time i remember walking into walworth there's a throwback for you and seeing driving theory training racked out on all the shelves and i wow. was just really proud to see it there which was great and pac-man's and patman stories as well which um I wanted to create the first interactive voice um storytelling for for Pat, using man on the Alexa. So um working with you know the team um at Bandai Namco and you know getting all the help that I needed and going to speak to Amazon and speaking to a studio in Brighton funny enough nice. um, who I use called Matchbox. Um I presented to them what if we could deliver storytelling through the Alexa. You, you're working you're using pac but each story is very much focused on teaching kids things that we want to teach them so eating healthy saving the planet stop throwing your rubbish everywhere you know work you know working out getting involved in sports but ultimately through the story um the kids have to help people and they have to make decisions and the decisions that they make um are important to what ending they'll get so it's kind of built in the way of a um, a fighting fantasy mechanic ah. in the sense that um, that they they choose w- their path, they make the decisions, but ultimately the decisions that they make reward them. So, if there's a duck and the duck's trapped with plastic around its feet in the, in in the river, uh, in the pond, the duck says, "Help me!" You know, there's all this garbage, and you help the duck. The duck then swims off and comes back and gives you a power pellet, <laughs> and you pop, you pocket that, and uh, the the platform remembers how many power pellets that you've received. Yeah, But I wanted to do it with a, a proper narrator, full cast of actors, high high quality sound. I didn't want to be using Alexa's standard voice. I wanted to have a, a proper narrator. I wanted to have a cast of characters playing the duck, the receptionist, this, 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 all these different characters and managed to create two um, interactive stories which are available for free. Wow. And the whole idea re- with it was really to test this platform specifically to see how we can deliver storytelling which isn't simply reading a book because I always thought when I when I when I spent time with my son I either read to him or he reads to me, but I thought what if there was something else and now obviously you have audiobooks for kids and there are interactive stories but at the time on the Alexa platform there wasn't really anything like this yeah so um, it was really great to to put the design of that together present it to a brilliant studio who were really uh, experienced in making um skills for the Alexa platform and then working with the innovation team internally and and having all the help that I needed to actually get it made yeah which was brilliant so yeah
0: but not um, teaching we... kids not to... to eat pills no not at all so
1: the power pellets are purely going in their pocket and they're purely a reward for them having made the great decision. But if they are making terrible decisions and they do pick up, they don't pick up the wallet and hand it in the police station, then they get the bad <laughs> end. It. But behind each story is a bit of a Scooby-Doo moment where you find out who's responsible for what's happening in each story. And you can imagine in Pac-Man's world, who's responsible
0: for it. <laughs> so, Lots of memories, lots of games that you've worked on. Uh, At what point did you start thinking about moving on from uh, Bandai Namco?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, it was a personal decision. There there are many things in in my mind that I sort of wanted to try and achieve. um, And before, you know, before the end of days, let's say. And um, I thought to myself, if you know, I was very happy at the company. I like, I love the games. I love the, um, the company, you know, I have huge, um, fond memories. And at the same time, I believe that there's probably nowhere else that I would actually go if, okay. if I stayed put. So I decided to, to, to sort of, let's say, open the doors up to other people. And, and at the same time for me, take a break. Um, having worked so hard for the last, well, it's longer than 25 years in terms of how long I've been working, but just being able to sort of take a bit of time to sort of sit back, recalibrate, think about, you know, the future and the things that I would like to try or maybe explore, you know, there's, there's skill sets that I wish that I'd kind of had time to sort of learn, things that I'm, I'd like to learn, you know, just like, you know, things like editing and cinematography and, you know, how to bring things together I'm a really creative person so I thought if I could take some time out to think about what my next step would be um, then maybe there was a new challenge ahead for me Um, so yeah that's it it, and I wouldn't say lockdown had um, anything to do with it but I think you know most certainly lockdown has changed people's um, perspectives and views and maybe as has, has got people thinking a little bit more about the future and and you know what they're doing and what they want to do i was doing during lockdown i was doing it um, a lot of um, voluntary stuff okay. even whilst working um and i felt i found a lot of um, reward in that even though it was voluntary but um you know just going out and you know getting getting you know um, elderly people shopping or going to pharmacies or you know doing this and doing that and then these were things that i kind of quite enjoyed doing for other people um i not saying i've left to go and do that um full time it's more to do with the fact that i was just wanting to kind of expand my horizons a little bit um and um and uh see what that next challenge um will be um
0: so yeah um we'll see what happens do you think that this is you leaving the game industry
1: um i don't think so um i think i will um stay within the industry because i love the industry and i love the people within it um i love games um yeah i've I've had been fortunate enough over the last few weeks to spend a bit of time playing the games that i've wanted to spend some time playing so no i wouldn't say i'll be leaving the industry at all um But um, definitely have a little think about what what I want to do next.
0: Well, that sounds that's good news for a start. And it sounds like a nice nice period, a nice bit of time to think about the things that are important, think about the things that interest you um, and have a bit of time exploring those. So we've kind of come to the end, but I've got a couple of questions that I ask everyone and they might take ages to answer it. It depends on you i doubt they will um so it's three questions and the first of them is first game so what was the first game that you played
1: um the first game i played was pac-man okay that's probably the probably the most boring answer
0: isn't it really it's not uh, it's very um thematic very in keeping
1: yeah I. I yeah, it's a tough. It's a tough because Pac-Man was the one title that I always had the fondest memories. It was either Pac-Man or Pong, to be honest. Okay, um, those were the two titles I always remember playing. Are you I good at Pac-Man?
0: First...
1: Um, I'm, I'm not. I'm certainly not as good as some people out there. But um, the one thing about Pac-Man that people, some people don't realise is that obviously each of the ghosts you know, Pinky, Inky, Blinky and Clyde, they all have their own personalities and their own specific AI built around their personalities. So if you learn what their their personalities actually are, then it makes the game a lot easier, yeah.
0: Wow, I had no idea of that already. So you've just, you've just blown my mind. I'm, I'm squidging a stress reliever that looks a bit like Pac-Man uh, at the moment. Um, so the second question is, last game. What was the last game that you played? The last game that
1: I played has been Sifu. Ah. Are you enjoying Which, it? I, I am enjoying it a lot. Um, I'm enjoying it more since they've updated it and put a slightly easier mode <laughs> in there um, because I must admit, I did feel like I was playing a Dark Souls game um, at times. Um, but that, that is the game that I am playing at the moment. Um, I'm also a big fan of Fortnite. Okay. So I'm play, I play a lot with my son. Um, he'll be upstairs in his Xbox. So I'll be downstairs in the PlayStation. So we, I, we do spend a lot of time on that. And you know, a lot of FIFA um, as well. Um, but one game that I do keep going back to, um, which I'm a real, real, real big fan of, um, is Plague Tale. Ah, okay, which um, I think uh, I w- I'd like to say is underrated, but I don't think it is now. But it certainly was when it first came out. Um, but I think a Plague Tale for me is another great experience, another great. Uh, example of really good storytelling and, and character building done really well and um sort of all around this amazing engine by sobo as well it does so, look yeah, incredible I'm a, um, a play it's it's a beautiful game it's one of those games i, I do spend a lot of time using uh, photo mode in games <laughs> and um and it's one of those games I, I constantly play around with cat screen capturing and um and things like that as well so um so yeah, but yeah, Sithu is the one that I'm kind of like, you know, battling through at the moment.
0: Okay. I'm excited to see uh what comes of a Plague Tale 2, of course. Uh, oh, whenever that's wait for it. um so the last question is best mm-hmm. game, which can be favourite game, I suppose. The tricky one. Um, yeah, because it is a tricky one because there
1: are many good games and many it's really hard i mean if you ask me my favorite movie i could tell you which which is it but the uh true romance okay that's my favorite movie of all time um i would go as for i would
0: say goldeneye is my favorite video game wow okay i like how you had Um, a movie there and a game there as well
1: yeah i think i think for me goldeneye is that game that really kind of I remember working at GT Interactive when someone brought in a sort of NTSc version of the game on on a on a on a uh, on a Nintendo and we and bring it in. I remember us all crowding around it and desperately trying to get our hands on it and then I remember playing it and I think it's it's just that game that has really kind of resonated and installed itself so well into that, not just the single player, um, how it felt at the time, but also the, 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 the pure multiplayer and, and sheer joy of playing with friends in the same room, which you don't get many, no. many games that do that now. Um, so it's great to see the, all the teasers online and potential reveals of a, of a new um, enhanced Goldeneye. If that happens, I'll be uh, <laughs> very excited. But will it still feel the same? that's the thing it's like i always believe that sometimes a game was meant for the period that it came out in and if you suddenly push so far to have that come back again it might not feel the same way as it as it once did um so sometimes it's a little bit like remaking um certain movies um badly (laughs) it's like don't touch it but i'm very excited to potentially see it and play it for sure
0: awesome well lee you have been fantastic thank you so much uh for spending the time talking to me today to everyone great to chat to you to everyone else uh this was one to one we'll be back in a couple of weeks if you like the episode please leave us a review and give us a hundred stars um and we'll speak to you soon bye for now cheers